Amen. You guys can take a seat. It is so good to be worshiping with all of you today. Um, I want to thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us today. And uh, I'm excited just about what God is up to, what he is going to be doing in and uh, through our, our church. Um, I have a few things that I want to share before we get into our message this morning. And I know you are going to be encouraged today. So the first, oh, by the way, I, I get caught by this every single time. Our kickstart kids, our fourth and fifth graders, you guys can get up and get on out of here, head back. Um, you guys are going to have a special time just for our young people. Um, I'm excited. I, I really am. And so let, let me share just a couple things uh, with you before we get into our message this morning. The first one is that on August 6th, I Love Southside is partnering with the Tut Library branch for their back to school bash. And in an effort just to kind of get kids off to a, a great start to their school year and, and everything, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be collecting some new folders and mechanical pencils. That, that we're, that's what we're gonna be doing. And we're gonna be passing those out at the Tut branch on August 6th, as well as just some information about our LSC kids and our LSC uh, student ministries here as well. And so if you wanna be a part of that in any way, I wanna encourage you over the next couple weeks, especially because back-to-school deals are already going on right now, to buy some, some new folders, some mechanical pencils, bring them here to the church over the next two Sundays, and then on August 6th, we're going to be um, heading over to the Tut Branch and passing all of those out. And so if you want to be a part of that in any way or you have any questions about that, I want you to email Meredith at meredith at livingstones.cc. She'll fill you in on, on all the info with that. Um, I also want to share that two weeks from today on July 31st is going to be our next Lunch on the Lawn. We've had a, just an amazing time at our Lunch on the Lawn uh, days that we've had so far this summer. It's just been amazing just to get together, to worship together, to share a meal, to talk and to laugh and to play and, and just, it, just being a part of our community. If you were here last Sunday, you heard me talk about that, just our need for community, our need for connection, and this is just one of those ways that we can help foster and facilitate that. And so we're going to provide pulled pork this coming, uh, this coming uh, lunch on the lawn, so it's going to be, uh, you're not going to want to miss it, but we're asking everybody to bring either a side or a dessert or both if you are so inclined. It's up to you what you want to do with that, but um, what I do ask, though, is that you would stop at the welcome desk in the foyer and just let us know what you're going to bring. That way we can plan accordingly to, to know, uh, you know, to make sure we have enough of all the, the sides and the desserts. And um, really is just a, an amazing time. If you've not stayed for one of our Lunch on the Lawns, make sure you have plans to do so on July 31st. And then last uh, announcement I want to share is that coming up in just a, a couple weeks, so at the end of August, on August 21st, we're going to have our next baptism celebration. And and if you've been around at all, you know baptism Sundays are some of just our favorite days that we have here at, at Livingstones Church. Um, it, it just as a way of celebrating those that are going public with their, their faith and their commitment to, to Jesus. And so if you've never been baptized before, or maybe you've been around and you've seen people, you know, get dunked in the tank, you're like, all right, I, I don't understand what that's all about. I, I would love to talk with you about that. We're going to have just a brief informational meeting on August 7th, right after church. We're going to provide you lunch on that Sunday and just answer any questions you have. Talk about just kind of the whys. Why do we do baptism? What's, what is it all about? And uh, 
And so I just want to, you know, if maybe you've felt God stirring your heart on that or, or you've never been or you just, maybe you just are curious and just have more questions, I would love for you to be a part of that uh, class that we'll have on August 7th. So just if you would sign up at livingstones.events slash baptism and we'll get all the information to you that you need. We already have uh, several people that are signed up for that Sunday, so it's going to be uh, just a great morning of celebrating new life in, in Christ. So um, with that, we are going to move into our time of, of offering and giving. And, and I wanted to share with you a scripture that uh, I was thinking on over this week. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. This is honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. That, that our giving is, is an act of, of worship. It's an act of worship. And, and the, when we give, it's a way of, for us to honor God with our finances in all the ways that he has blessed us, all the ways that God has, has given to us. It, it's an honor. It's, a, it's an act of worship to give back to him first, not just what's left over, but to give to him first. And, and I, I believe in, in the work that we're doing here at Living Stones. I believe in the work that's, that's happening here on, on the south side. And, and when you give here to, to LSC, you enable ministry here to, to go forward. You, your giving goes to support you know, things like we talked about, our I Love Southside events at, at the, as we partner with the library, as we partner over at Miami Hills, which we've just been having just a, a tremendous time over there over the last couple weeks, um, different organizations on the south side, the schools in, in our area. But your giving also supports our ministries here at, at the church for uh, the, the investment that we make in our, in our kids in our families, in our, in our students each week. And, and God's really been so good to us. And so when we, when we give, we're, we're just honoring God with our finances. And we're giving back to him in what he has done for each of us. And so I, I just pray for those that are able to give this morning um, that you do so generously. I'm, I'm going to pray in a minute. The ushers will come forward, and we're going to pass the, the baskets. You can give there. You can give in the, the boxes at the back of the worship center. Or you can go online. You can go to livingstones.vision give. And you can give online as well. But I just want to thank all of you for just your continued uh, support of what we do here on the south side. So with that, I'm, I'm going to pray. Our ushers will come forward, and then we're going to get into our message today. So Lord, we, we just thank you, God, for being so good to us. God, thank you for being a great provider. And, and we, we want to do exactly what Proverbs chapter 3 said, that we want to honor you with our finances. We want to honor you with our wealth and, and give you first out of what you've already given to us, Lord. And just pray that you would use this offering, Lord, to bless the people here in our community, that you would use this offering to help uh, flourishing take place on the south side of South Bend, Lord. And God, we just pray that you would just use it, multiply it, Lord. Let it be used to expand your kingdom, Lord. We love you and are so grateful for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can pass the baskets. And, and as the, the baskets are being passed, I, I just want to say just again how grateful I am for all of you being here today. You know, we, we, if you weren't here last Sunday, I, I made the announcement about us going to, to have just one service as, as an opportunity for us to, to grow and to connect and, and for us just to, to, to heal, to, to become whole in, in some ways that, that just that we've been processing and going through over these last number of years. And, and if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go back and either listen to that message or, or watch it again because really in, in it, I, I share just kind of where we believe God's been directing us and, and where we're going to be moving forward a bit as, as a church. And um, th this past week, I was thinking on this. I heard, I, I heard this. I never, I'd never, this never registered with me before. But, but oftentimes when we hear the word 
apocalypse, like we often will think of like nuclear annihilation or some kind of like Mad Max type, you know, uh, environment, something like that. But I would argue from, from a biblical sense, the biblical definition of apocalypse, what we've gone through over these last few years, we've experienced an apocalypse of our own because the Greek word that translates to apocalypse literally means to uncover, to reveal, and to lay bare. I, I, I was, I, when, when, I, when, I, when I heard that, when I read that, just a light bulb went off. Because I think that's, that's what's happened as what we've walked through recently, just as a society. You know, with, with all the things that, that COVID has brought, all of the, uh, the, the political divisions that are there, the, the economy has really uncovered. It's really revealed and laid bare a lot of things in our society. It's uncovered and revealed and laid bare a lot of things inside us, inside our, our, our churches. And, and if we're honest, I think some of what's been revealed and some of what's been uncovered has not really been too good. And so in this series, we're, we're, we're starting a new series today, and we're calling it Resilient. And in, in this series, we're going to be talking about how we can use what we've walked through recently to become the church that God has called us to be. How, how can we be a resilient people? How can we be a grace-filled people through the apocalypse that we have, have walked through, the unveiling, the things that have been uncovered and laid bare? And so th this past week, I was in West Virginia with our, our students on our seismic retreat, which was a, a tremendous time. And so Lowell is going to speak uh, this morning on one of the, the key aspects of this journey that we're going to be on as a church. So would you welcome Lowell Kosak to the stage, please? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. And if we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> what, is, what is it about that song? And I love that almost everybody, is there anybody here that has never heard that song before? Oh, that, that warms my heart. So, you know, it's not about age or anything. It's timeless. What is it about that hearing that song that brings back what, what feelings come over you when you think of that? I think of peace, I think of calm, I think of welcome. Fred Rogers just had a way of, in a very simple way, of just welcoming people into his space. In the midst of all kinds of things that can happen uh, in, in our lives, and, and, and he spoke to children who had to walk through all of the struggles that we, we deal with, and he did it in a way that just brought peace. And I love, it, I love at the end of his show always, as he would come back and sit in the same chair where he changed his shoes and he changed his sweater, he would say, 
he would sum everything up that went into that by saying, you are what? You are special just the way you are. Wow. You are special just the way you are. We have a, uh, we talk about our church. I, I, I love Livingstones. Uh, my family, uh, we have been here for 14 years. When we moved back to South Bend and we attended for the first time and uh, just saw the welcoming place that we are, that, that welcomes people from all different backgrounds and uh, all different walks of life and, and brings us together. That has always been something that I, I have personally loved as the heartbeat of living stones. It makes us special, right? It makes us unique. In fact, uh, and, and I love what Pat was just saying uh, a little bit uh, earlier ago about uh, talking about this apocalypse, this, this, all of the shaking that has gone on in our world. We as a, uh, as a church have an opportunity to bring peace. We have an opportunity to bring shalom. And it's in the middle of all of that. I love our, our, our text that talks about who we are. We know this. We've, we've heard this so many times when we talk about the vision of living stones. First Peter chapter 2, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is saying this in the midst of this church that is, that is struggling with the impending persecution that is going to happen or is happening at the, in that moment. And he's saying, you are a part of this. And then later in the text, he's going to say, but you, in the midst of all of this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have, as this special people, and I think the King James will call us a peculiar people, Unique people, special people, for the reason why. We are called out as special people to bring peace and shalom into the world, into this apocalypse, into this shaking. We call people. We are special to deliver a message that all mankind is special. Now, this has not changed at all in all of, in all of history. This is not a new thing to Jesus this is something that Jesus talked about because it is, it is there from the very beginning. This is the way that the community of God was supposed to be. So in light of that, I want to I draw our attention to a passage that has, I think, I think uh, has been one that is, could, if we think about it, is troubling because Jesus says some things when he talks to the crowd of people, he talks to this, this group of people that just, they kind of bother me. As we talk about this community of shalom as a community of peace, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to start at verse 14. And forgive me if my, uh, I hope that, well, actually, I'll just read it right here. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him, they meaning the disciples. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures 
and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Jesus is talking about a community that is supposed to bring peace, bring shalom. And this shalom community cares for one another. I'm moved by this text. I hope that you are moved by this text. I think that we all can identify in some way with this father. And our heart aches for that person we love who is going through so much pain and so much struggle. And we feel helpless. I know I feel helpless. When I, look at, when I look at this and I think of individuals that are in my circle and in my life that are going through pain, I, we just heard, Katie and I just heard of a, a good friend of ours uh, that uh, is, has stage four cancer. And I know that she, she regularly had checkups and it just hit her hard. And we feel helpless. We both sat in the car in tears. All our efforts seem to go for nothing. We have exhausted our resources and our solutions. We have settled, perhaps, to carry this burden alone for the remainder of our lives. Or we're on the outside looking in with pity. We pray. We offer words of concern and compassion. But in the end, that seems like emptiness. It seems like helplessness, hopelessness. These are words that describe our feelings in this moment. And then when I look at this text, I'm a little troubled by a few things. And the first one is that Jesus, in the midst of bringing peace to this situation, to this man and to his son, he, he doesn't seem to be very amiable about it. Take, for instance, this statement. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I put up with you? Wow. What a statement. What a condemnation. What, why, does, why does Jesus say this? Who is Jesus speaking to? Is he talking to the disciples who seem to be unable to heal the boy? They've been healing all along. And that's why people are following. Jesus commissioned them and he gave them power to go out and heal. To go out and do the things that he was doing. Why are they unable to heal this man's son? Are they unbelieving and perverse? Or is he talking about the boy and his father? Is Jesus throwing up his hands in complete frustration? Has the father done something that caused him to have a son that would be born in the, with this condition? What sin could be so egregious to cause this to happen? How about if we look at a few hints in the text? Let's do a little treasure hunt, if you will, what's go, what, with what's going on. First of all, we have this crowd this crowd of people who have been following Jesus and following the disciples, they gathered here. This is the community 
that this man and this son are a part of. Okay? How about this hint? The boy is throwing himself constantly into the fire to burn himself or into the water to drown himself. What a predicament to have. And if you go back into the text a little bit farther, a part that I didn't read, the the story just before this interaction, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus had just been up on the mountain with his disciples. And he is transfigured, the Mount of Transfiguration, (laughs) where he meets with Moses and Elijah who correspond with Moses being corresponding with the law, and Elijah, who corresponds with the prophets, and he meets with them here, and there's this voice that comes from heaven and says what? This is my son. I am pleased with him. Listen to him. Whoa. So here, here is this situation that comes immediately after. And in this moment... God is saying, and John tells us, that Jesus is the word, the light, of, uh, light and life. He is the incarnation of all that was taught before. The law, which includes the two greatest commandments to love God and love your neighbor. And the prophets, where Malachi would say, return to me and I will return to you. And he will turn, God will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and their father to, the children, to their children. And this generation... This crowd of people, they're not following the law that says love others. And, they're, and God is not present with them because they're only thinking of themselves. Here's the big question. If the community of God was being the community they, they should be, why was this boy allowed to be thrown into the fire and the water? This crowd just stood back and watched it happen, twiddled their thumbs, I don't know what to do. But if we care for one another, when we see somebody who is in the predicament they are, we are not going to allow this father to carry that burden alone. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. You perverse and wicked generation. He's looking at the crowds and he's saying, why aren't you doing what I, asked, what I told you to do from the very beginning? The cry here is not just about the boy, it's, it's for the man. He was not seeing community the way that it should be, the family of God in a tangible way. There was a lot of empty talk and a lot of posturing. And as a result, he was not seeing a tangible expression of the presence of God. He didn't see Abba. I think about that and how my heart breaks for a world and a generation today who looks at the church, and they don't see love. They don't see a tangible expression of God in the world. We wonder why our community isn't larger. It's because it's the same predicament. And Jesus would make the same condemnation upon our community when we pass by like the Levite and the priest did to the, 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 the man who was robbed and left for dead. The shalom community cares for the other. The community of peace has enough margin in life to stop and take time and rescue from the flames. The community of peace shares table and meals. 
shares home. And when we are in community this way, the cares and worries of the other person, they become our cares. They become our worries. And together, we carry one another. The second thing that the Shalom community does is it welcomes. Here's another troubling statement. Okay, we had the first one, you wicked and perverse generation, but Jesus also says this. He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. We've, you've, we've read that passage. We're like, nothing will be impossible for you, Jesus says, if you have faith as big as a mustard seed. And I'm frustrated by that because it's like, well, I think I have faith. I believe. I trust God. But think about that for a minute. Where where have we heard this statement before about this mustard seed thing? (laughs) And now the disciples are hearing about this mustard seed again themselves, and they're like, where have we heard that before? And it's just a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 13, one of the smallest parables in the text, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that, uh, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it was the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree so the birds come and perch in its branches. Jesus is now teaching them and reminding them of a lesson he taught before when he says this here, that you have faith like a mustard seed. It's a lesson about his kingdom. It's a lesson about his purpose. It's a lesson about our purpose and what we are supposed to be. It's a lesson about the kingdom of peace. You see, and I've probably taught about this before, so I'll very briefly go through this. But a mustard seed to the Jew, which the disciples were when they heard Jesus say this about this seed, they would have said, wait a minute. Jesus, a good farmer in a Jewish community doesn't plant mustard seeds. Because we don't know anything. I don't plant mustard seeds in my garden, but it's not because I don't want to plant them. I, I have no idea how to grow them. But a mustard seed to a Jew would have been not kosher. Like, why would a farmer plant a mustard seed in his garden in a Jewish community? Because the mustard seed is the weed. <laughs> it overtakes all the other fruit and all of the other vegetables that the farmer wants to, to, to plant in the garden. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a seed from a weed that overtakes and chokes out all of the other plants. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. (laughs) And once it is planted, it grows so big that it becomes like a tree. You see, the kingdom is planted where it doesn't seem to belong. And it's certainly not welcome in that space. But when it goes there, when the kingdom of heaven is planted into a place that doesn't want it, it becomes so big so huge, so large, that all of the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And then when Jesus did that, when he said that, the disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. He was not just talking about the Jews that were on the inside that had a place. He was saying, nah, it's for all people. The birds resting in its branches is from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel, And it's talking about how the birds of all kinds will come and nest in the branches of this thing that doesn't seem to belong. It's kind of unique. It's peculiar. 
It's special, and it's providing a place of refuge for those that are on the margins and for those that are oppressed. It is welcome for all people. There is no restrictions here. The Shalom community brings welcome. And the last thing that the Shalom or the community of peace brings uh, or does, it hears the cry. It hears the cry. Now, if you go back to Mark, or go ahead to Mark, if you will, Mark adds a few things to this text that Matthew doesn't have. And, and uh, I, I think I have a few of the verses, but I, when I was looking earlier this morning and just kind of going over the message, I realized that I left out a few uh, verses. But Mark shows us one more statement to wrestle with, and it is this. This kind only comes out by prayer. Now, we like that. We like that because I believe that we are a church in our, in our uniqueness, in our peculiarness. We, we want to be a church that prays for one another. Prayer is important. It's life-giving. I think we totally agree with that. But after scouring this text, I didn't see any evidence of what I would call prayer in this text or at least a prayer that I normally see, but I discovered that I was maybe missing the prayer that was important because I was looking at the wrong person. Who would you expect to be praying in this text? The accusation seems to be one, when we look at the text immediately, it seems to be one where Jesus is saying, the reason why your disciples weren't able to do what, I, what you wanted to do is because you forgot to pray. Like, you sit down at a meal and you get indigestion because you forget to pray. How ridiculous is that, you know? No, that's not what's happening here at all. But when Jesus heals, well, if that's the accusation, then Jesus steps in and, and then he does it, right? Like, if, if Jesus would say that, and he says, well, because you didn't pray, this didn't, healing didn't happen, and so I'm going to do it. But he doesn't pray either. Jesus doesn't pray, and Jesus has prayed before, so he doesn't pray here. We have heard that. Let's look at the text in Mark. I'm going to actually, I need to step back uh, to verse 14, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It won't be on the screen, but we'll catch up with it. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law, and this is what he adds Okay, Matthew didn't have this. Mark has this. And they were arguing with them. The crowd was arguing with the disciples. They were consumed with this conflict. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to meet him. So they left this distraction of this argument over here, and they went over to Jesus because here's Jesus, here's the man of the hour, here's the one we're expecting a show right now. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams to the at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And of course, we hear Jesus say what he said earlier, oh, you perverse and wicked generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And then this is where you'll find the, the scripture uh, 
So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus immediately threw the boy into convulsion, he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, here it is, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So this man speaks up, and he told Jesus that the disciples could not cast out the Spirit. And we've all had these arguments before, right? Most of the arguments that I've had uh, with Katie are usually over trivial things. And if we, if we think about it, the arguments that we have with other people are, we think about it real hard, it's like, oh, that was kind of insignificant. But... Those opinions we hold just kind of help to escalate and higher and higher and possibly finding each of us storming off frustrated with the other. And by the way, Katie's always right. <laughs> and I say amen to that. She is so very wise. In an argument, in that argument though, what we do is we posture ourselves, don't we? We posture ourselves to be more correct than the other person. Well, remember when I did that good thing for you? That's what I usually say. I manipulate the situation. It's, I'm so terrible. Here's my time for confession before you. <laughs> so that we can be the one in the right or the one that is offended, the victim. <laughs> I want to be the one that is heard and for the other to back down. But what I know about arguing is that the longer it goes on, the more frustrated that we become, the less humble we are, the less we have the ability to see the bigger picture. Now here's the big picture. Notice who responds to Jesus' inquiries. It's the boy, the boy's father, rather. He says, I brought you my son. And then Jesus asks him some more questions. And the father gives him some more details. Jesus wants to hear the story and the heart behind the cry. All this arguing over there, and Jesus says, no, wait, 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 wait. Everybody be quiet. I want to I sit down and look at this man in the face, and I want to hear him. I want to hear his story. And here's the clincher. If you can. <laughs> I love that. I love that because we all know the story. But this man in his desperation says, if you can. Oh, Jesus says, if you can. <laughs> says, well, he asked a question. If you can. You just said, if I can? If you can. Everything is possible for the one who believes. I don't know about you, but it seems like Jesus is stalling here. <laughs> he's holding out the thing that the man is looking for way out here. And he's kind of almost like he's teasing him. What is Jesus doing? He wants to hear the cry, a cry for freedom, addressed in confidence that there is one who hears the cry. It is a cry for personhood in a system that denies our personhood, our value, our worth, and our identity. It's personhood lives with the awareness that the, the coercive pressures in my life are not meant to be or need not be. But it also lives with the hope that there is one who hears and answers. And so the Father states what I believe is the prayer that Jesus has been waiting for. 
I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to turn to. Why couldn't the disciples heal? It wasn't because they didn't have the power to do this. The text says that they had been doing it all along. Jesus had empowered them to do this. The disciples were so busy wrangling with the, with the teachers of the law in this crowd and arguing with them that they didn't stop to hear the cry of the man who loved his son. That's the community of peace that stops in the middle of our busyness long enough to sit with somebody and to hear the cry, to hear the story. That is the prayer that Jesus is talking about. That is the prayer that needed to happen for this demon to come out. It needed to be expressed. That's what the community does. It hears the cry. It hears the cry. So as I was actually, um, when Pat talked to me about uh, preaching, and we've got a lot of things that are going on in our lives and things, and I, I actually rejected him. I said, no, I don't have any time right now. And then I had lunch with a good friend of mine later that day, and we were actually talking about this, and I was like, I texted him back, said, oh, I got it. <laughs> And, uh, and we were just, and we actually, we were sharing back and forth about the community, and then it just hit me. It came to me. It's like, oh my gosh. It's all from the very back, at, very, at the very beginning. From the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, the creation of man and woman. You see, there's a problem in that text, too. Genesis 18, the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. The King James says, a helpmate, terrible translation, terrible translation. Sorry, King Jimmy. <laughs> not good, not good. And even just that idea of help is still not quite right. In fact, that text is one that we often use sometimes in our, in our patriarchal society to say that the man is the dominant and the woman is the submissive person. And that's not what God is doing in the creation of man and woman. He is looking at this man who is good, has been created good. And he says, but the thing that's wrong here is that he's alone. He doesn't have anybody to help him to grow. I also love that too because God in creation never says it's perfect. He says it's good. In other words, it's going to go somewhere. And so this man who is created good needs to go somewhere. But there's nothing in his life that would give good tension to help him to grow to be better. And so what God does in this, in this text is he takes, he takes a part of Adam out of him. The, the King James, again, will say the rib, but it doesn't matter. It's just a piece of him. Whether it's physically or I think it's, I think it's actually very much a, uh, uh, a whole being kind of a thing. He takes a part. So now Adam is what? He is incomplete. And he creates the woman. He creates the woman. In that text in chapter 18, the, the Hebrew word there is etzer konekdo. Anybody know what that means? Well, I just put it up there. <laughs> Not that I know Hebrew very well, but I've sat under some really wonderful scholars that know that etzer konekdo means the help that opposes. Now that is more correct. 
Now, some of you are laughing in here. It's like, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, my partner just brings opposition. But as you laugh, don't laugh because that's a good thing. If we will stop long enough to understand that the person that God is bringing in our life, not just our spouse, this is about community, actually. This is about, this, this is about the community that we need to have that, because we don't, I don't get along with all of you 100%. Some of you less, some of you more. But if I can stop for a moment, I can recognize that the tension that that person brings in my life actually helps to support me. And I lean into that person and I learn. And they lean into me and they learn. And more importantly, we see the image of God in the other person. That's community. That's community. And then Adam will say, as he looks at this woman, this new creation, this is now bone of my bones. I mean, he understood what was going on there. That part that was missing from me, like, uh uh, what happened? Oh, it's there. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I'm asking my sons to come up, and they're going to hate me later because I asked them to come up and help me with this. But I, uh, I will often teach this text at weddings. Um, and I, for Noah's wedding, I created this. So let's see, we got, this is so fun. <laughs> okay, I think that's the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the let's assemble the tops first. Turn it over. Yeah, there we go. I actually burned Hebrew into each of these pieces. I'm going to go ahead and let Yep. One says ish for man. And the other side says isha. And it was a picture that I wanted to give to, uh, that I want to give, wanted to give my, uh, my students, my children. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I wanted to give them a picture of what, what the rabbis actually see when they think about, when they talk about this Edzer Konecto. It is the man and the woman leaning up against each other, and they are, they are supporting one another. The rabbis teach that one standing alone, one board, one of these boards would not be able to stand alone. Just a little movement, and that one's going to fall down. But the design in community is for us to lean up against each other and to recognize and even value the thing that we might not appreciate because it's not like me is actually something that I need. And even in this text that we've been talking about here is, is the value that the father and the boy have to community, not just because they have a need, because the community needs them too. And that tension brought into the community will help to bring more goodness and get closer to perfection than what God designed the community to be. The community of peace. 
That's what we are to be, the community of shalom. We, when we are that community, we care for the other. And we're not, we don't turn a blind eye. We welcome the other, and our table is full. And we sit and spend time and hear the cry of the other. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for the story of this man and this boy. Thank you, Father, for the way that you have created us to live in community with one another. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together as a peculiar, as a special people to, to show forth the praises of God, of you. May we do that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. That was, that was powerful. Thank you. You know, in, in this idea of talking about connection and community, I mentioned earlier that I spent the, the week in West Virginia with our seismic students, and, and we had just a, an, an amazing time at, at our youth retreat just this past week. And, and, and I, I, I don't know if he's even in the room, but I just want to give a shout-out to Kyle right now. Kyle, are you in the room? All right, can we just give it up for Kyle? He... For all, all you did to, to plan and execute this week, you, you did an amazing job. And uh, Sarah Coffey, will you just raise your hand for us? Andrew Albright. And I think Mallory, Mallory is back serving with, with kids this morning. Um, but they, they came, they took a week off of work to come and to, to minister to our students and to be with our young people. And, and I just want to tell you guys how thankful I am for for you, for the community that you're helping foster with our students and with our young people. And, and we, we really had a, an amazing time this week. We went whitewater rafting, we went hiking, we played games, we were threatened with eviction um, <laughs> for getting a little too loud, playing capture the flag and stuff. But one, one of the moments though that really stood out to me, actually, would you put the, the picture of just us at the waterfall? This was, this was all of us. Um, this was at the Blackwater Falls we went, and it was just, it was beautiful. We had an amazing time. But one of the moments that really stood out to me while we were, while we were there, is that we had our students leading worship for their peers. If you can, put that up there. And it was, it was such a just a, a neat, neat moment having our young people gathered together, singing songs of worship to God. There's no adults up at the front. They're, they're leading their peers in worship. And it, it, was, it was just a, a really, really special moment. There's, there's something about getting off site and going on a, on a car trip that takes way longer than you think it's gonna take to get there and but there's something about that that binds people together. That when we start doing life, when we start engaging with one another, when we start having those conversations, when we start hearing those cries, there's something beautiful that happens. 
But I want to share with you something that took place on our second to last day. If you can put the next picture up. Kyle led us in, an, in communion together. And doing it in proper youth group fashion, we took communion with Cheetos and Mountain Dew. Um, because youth group, you know? And, and, but as the students and the, as the leaders, as we took communion together on that second to last day, God just brought something to mind that was truly beautiful, that, that right now, today, throughout the world, there are believers that are sitting and taking the Lord's Supper together. Some are in churches, some are in homes, some are in a lodge in West Virginia, some are in prisons, some are in nursing homes. People all around the world that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't act like us, maybe don't even believe all the same things that we do, but there's one thing we all share in common, is that we're all sinners who are saved by grace. And what I love about the Lord's table is it brings different elements from the worldwide church and brings them together in true, genuine connection, true, genuine community. In spite of our differences, in spite of our different locations, in spite, even despite some of our different doctrinal beliefs that we have, that we believe in Jesus, that he lived a sinless life that he died on the cross and three days later he rose again to purchase our salvation. Like we celebrate that and we remember that this morning. So as you come forward to receive communion today, I want you just to, to think and reflect on Jesus, but I also want you to think and reflect on his church. That we are a part of something that's taking place around the globe right now his followers coming together remembering the sacrifice he made by eating the cracker which represents his body and drinking the juice that represents his blood I'm going to pray and the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to set the table for us and as we play this last song I want to invite you to come forward everybody is welcome to the Lord's table and I want you to come just, just reflect on what God is doing not just here at Livingstone's Church, not just here in South Bend, what God is doing around the globe. So let's pray. Lord, we, we are so thankful for you. God, and we love you so very much. God, thank you that there is a unity amongst the body of believers. That we might look different the way we take communion might be different. The way that we live this thing out might look different. It might be in a different location, might be in a different place. But God, there is a unity amongst your church, amongst your body that we get to partake in, that we get to be a part of, and we are so thankful for that. And so, Lord, as we come forward to, to receive communion today, to remember your body being broken, remember your blood being spilled for us, Lord, that you would just remind us, that we would just be overwhelmed with your goodness and your love towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come forward as we sing this last song together.